so encouraging to be here, and um, I know you guys are in kind of an interim period without Mike being here as your pastor, and um, yet it's just wonderful to hear, see everybody coming to church and hear the testimonies, especially about Lance and his faith and how things are going, and the Lord is really gracious to us, isn't he? He's taking care of you guys. Um, my name is Rich Andre. I, I was a member here a couple of years back, and it's just a joy to be able to do this while you're in this interim period and share with you guys from the Word of God and to be up here and see everybody again. Um, just to let you know about things in Santa Rosa where I live, um, we're doing good. Our family's doing well. My daughter moved out, which is sad. <laughs> she wants to be an adult. She's got a boyfriend. So we're working through that. <laughs> um, and Cannon's actually up in Alaska right now doing a counseling for a, a summer youth camp. And that's been challenging for him. He's, you know, it's kind of broadening his perspective on life a little bit. He's, he had, uh, in his first round of kids, there was a lot of kids that had no, like, family life and structure, and, and he was providing structure for them where they're not used to that, and it was challenging and difficult, but towards the end of the week, he had kind of won some over and had time to share the Lord with them, and so he was encouraged and challenged in all those things. Um, Maeve, she's always um, busy with chicken farming. That's her thing. <laughs> she's running cross country, playing basketball. And uh, Nolan, he's been very, uh, he's always kind of an entrepreneurial type. He's, he's trying to swing a deal with people. And he's got his coin collection. And he was, we were looking through his coins yesterday. So that's how things are going in, in my life. Um, and it's been good. The Lord's been good. We, we enjoy our church there, Grace Church. Um, I've been teaching uh, the youth group. I've been leading the youth group and teaching weekly with them and discipleship. We had a uh, what we called spiritual boot camp this summer. And that was first time ever. We just basically taught the kids uh, three teaching uh, occasions, said you know, how to read your Bible, how to pray, how to minister in your church, and then it was filled with just, you know, kind of summer activities, swimming, and we went to people's houses and swam and played mini golf at Scandia and stuff like that. So it was a good, good, fun time as well. So enough about me. Let's go to the Word of God here. We're going to be looking at this theme of the gospel according to the prophets. And if you open your Bibles to... 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 10 and 12, the gospel according to the prophets. And by way of introduction, I want to ask, what is the central theme of Holy Scripture? The most important topic, the most important aspect, is the Bible primarily teaching us about how to live a good life, how to raise good kids, how to have a successful career? Is it about history, the history of the Jews particularly? Is it about knowing what is right and wrong? 
Is it about politics and political empires and kings? Is it about great triumphs of faith? Now the Bible touches on all of these topics, but I think if that were all the you thought that was what the Bible is all about, you're falling far short. That is not the primary topic of Holy Scripture. The Bible from cover to cover is about this great salvation through Jesus Christ. How sinful man can be reconciled to a holy God. And that is what we will be talking about today. Particularly how the prophets communicated that message. How the Old Testament communicated the gospel of salvation. And we are going to read 1 Peter 1, chapter 10 to 12. It says this, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that should come to you have inquired and searched diligently, seeking the events and time the Spirit of Christ who was within them signified when He foretold the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, concerning the things which are now reported to you by those who have preached the gospel to you through the Holy Spirit, who was sent from heaven, things into which the angels desire to look. I was tempted to title this The Gospel of the Angels. Uh, The Gospel According to the Angels, because he mentions them as well. Um, Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this great gospel, Lord. May it be clear, may it be understood, may it be believed today. Thank you that those who pioneered the faith went before us, Lord, delivering this gospel, Lord, throughout the ages that many may come to a saving knowledge through the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray that you might even do that mighty work here today. If some do not know you, Lord, may you encourage our hearts, Lord, your saints, Lord, those who have put their trust. Build us up in the faith by your word. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. So in context, last time we talked about this precious faith that leads to salvation, saving faith. And uh, there's nothing in the material world more precious, more valuable, more incorruptible than gold. Gold endures even through fire. You know, fire tends to destroy just about anything in the world, but the illustration here of gold is that it is indestructible. It's the most indestructible thing upon the earth. In fact, the fires only improve gold so that it's refined through the fires. And yet, it says that your faith is more precious than even gold, which is corruptible. The most incorruptible thing upon the earth that we know of gold is still corruptible. But your faith, your faith is precious. It is better than gold, which gold can eventually corrode given enough time or be ground to powder. But your faith, it endures forever if you have true saving faith. And it purchases 
that greatest thing the world could ever know, that salvation of souls. That's what faith achieves. And so in context, he's talking about this great salvation wrought to you through faith. And he says in verse 10, of this salvation, or your translation may say concerning this salvation, which is connecting us back to verse 9, where he says, receiving as the result of your faith the salvation of your souls. So this most valuable thing in the world is that he's speaking of is this salvation. It is the topic of all of Holy Scripture. Every single book of the Bible. And no less here in the book of First Peter. And God constantly reminding us about this great salvation that you might put your hope in this great salvation. And so Peter wants us to appreciate this salvation and particularly the fact that we have an advantage over the Old Testament prophets and saints of the past. We actually stand on the other side of salvation history. They stood on the side before the cross of Jesus Christ. And they, they stood on the side before the writing of the New Testament. But we stand on this side of salvation history. We look back at the, Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ. And we have the formation of the New Testament. These Old Testament prophets, however, were the pioneers of faith. And we stand on the ground that they were only looking at. And if you think about, um, as an example, uh, if you stand upon a mountain, you can see the big picture. And you can look at all the different roads. You could look at the buildings. You could look at a lake and a, and a stream. And you can make sense of it all. But only as, as the big picture, you wouldn't be able to see all the details up close. You wouldn't see, for instance, uh, or be, have the experience of walking into one of these buildings or, or talking to somebody on the street. Right? You, you're looking at things from a distance, and so it was with the prophets. Some of the details that we now have as New Testament believers were a bit fuzzy to them, and they didn't have it fully explained. What they did understand, it was as though they were looking, let's say, at a, at a vehicle. If you were looking from a mountain and you looked down at a, at a vehicle, you could see that it was moving, but you may not really see all the details about it to notice whether or not it was a bicycle or a car or perhaps a bus. But you could know enough to see, oh, well, the thing is moving. It's, it's a vehicle of some sort. Well, that's kind of how the... Old Testament prophets were able to see the truths about salvation. It wasn't altogether clear as we have it today. You, New Testament believer, you have a 72-inch high-definition plasma screen. I don't even know if that's the latest technology on TVs, but, but you have it in vibrant color. You're not watching black and white. And Peter is reminding us how privileged we are to have this gospel of salvation and looking at it through the New Testament lens. So, we're going to talk about the testimony 
of the prophets. And what did these prophets write about? First, I want to talk to you about prophecy a bit. How are we to understand the nature of prophecy? The prophets say, Thus saith the Lord. By saying this, they are saying, I am the spokesman on behalf of God. I speak on behalf of God. And it's true that the prophets, they didn't lose their personality when they spoke. They, they really genuinely spoke as a human being. They weren't put into like some sort of trance and automatically writing as, um, without looking at the page and somehow magically their, their pen moved in such a manner that they were communicating the Word of God. That's not what happened. They, they really wrote the books of the Bible they were in control of what they were writing, and yet they weren't totally in control of what they were writing. They were controlled by God. The Spirit of God so compelled their writing that they wrote exactly what God had intended them to write. It's, it's, it's divine in origin. And this passage is teaching us that the Word of God is divine in origin. Uh, these prophets, they, they wrote about things that they did not know about, it tells us here. They, they wrote about things that were too magnificent for them to fathom. They, they wrote about mysterious things, profound things. They wrote about the nature of God. They wrote about the nature of eternity. They wrote about the future. Things that of their own will, of their own insight, they could not have possibly known. Which tells us that this is divine revelation. This is the origin of these words of the prophets came from God. And so much so that they were puzzled at the very things that they were teaching and they had to make a lifelong devotion and study and investigation of what they were writing about. So, that's the nature of prophecy. And what were they writing about? What did these prophets write? In verse 10, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that should come to you have inquired and searched diligently. The prophets were writing about the coming of this gospel age that you and I stand in now. They were writing about the coming of the gospel age. The reason I like old westerns is because it tells a story about pioneers. And these, the, the theme of a lot of these old westerns is that they, they're going out to a, a land unknown, but they're going out with a promise and a hope and a belief and a prospect. They, they want a better future, a better land, a better politic, a new life. And they went forward in faith. And that's how, these, that's how we're to understand these prophets. They, they didn't see things with the physical eye, but they understood with the eye of faith. And they believed. And they went forth based on the promises of God. And they came with an eager hope. And Christ Jesus was the object of their hope. They, they weren't looking for a new land. They were looking for Christ. 
and all their hope was in him. They were looking for a better priest. They were looking for a better king. They were looking for a better prophet. And they themselves knew their inadequacies as as people, right? And they were looking for the prophet, the Messiah, who would come and bring salvation in the Gospel age. And so it says that they were actually, in verse 10, they were diligently seeking. They were diligently seeking. This was their great pursuit in life. This is the climax of all of God's revelation the salvation that was brought through Jesus Christ. And so they stumbled out of bed each morning and got their coffee. <laughs> and they pursued this discipline day after day after day after day because this was their hope. And their whole life was devoted to it. And so they sought this Christ in the Old Testament They weren't reading just about the history of the Jews or some legal codes. This isn't, the Old Testament wasn't just about biographies of great triumphs of faith, but they were looking for Christ Jesus on every page of Holy Scripture, even the Old Testament. You can take as an example Anna, who sat at the temple in this period called the intertestamental period. In time when the, the closing of the canon of the Old Testament and is the period before the beginning of the New Testament. And she sat at the temple and she waited for that one who would redeem Israel, it says in Luke chapter 2. She actually knew of the Messiah that was coming. And how did she know that? From the New Testament? The New Testament had not even been formed. She knew about the Messiah, the Redeemer of Israel, that he was coming from her Old Testament. This was, this was the hope of Old Testament saints. Philip, when he met Jesus, he went and told his buddy Nathaniel. And he said this, he said, We have found him. We have found that one that we have been looking for. The one that the Scriptures declared to us. He has arrived. They had hope in the Messiah. And so it wasn't just the Old Testament prophets, but all saints who have ever known salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ have known and hoped in Christ the Messiah. And the Gospel marks that that high point of God's revelation, that climax when when God would reveal His Son, Jesus Christ. And the Gospel also thus marks the completion of God's revelation. It marks the climax of God's revelation and it marks the completion of God's revelation. We're not looking for a new Gospel. We've got all that we need in our New Testaments. We've got it all. Hebrews chapter 1. God who in various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by His Son who is the heir of all things. That 
marks the high point of God's revelation and the completion. God had nothing else He wanted to say but the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it was for these Old Testament prophets. They believed that same Gospel that you and I believe. They saw it as from a distance. It was blurry. It was somewhat cryptic or veiled, but they had trust and hope in Jesus Christ. Second, what did the prophets write about? The widespread grace of God. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that should come to you have inquired and searched diligently. So this grace that had come to you, the New Testament believer, what is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is that which is undeserved. Grace is that which is not earned. Grace is a gift. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you guys know it. Salvation is by grace through faith, and it's not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works so that no man may boast. It is grace. It is a gift And this here speaks of this New Testament era where God's grace was poured out lavishly upon the world. It's a a global grace. When God's grace was unsparing to all of the nations, God's grace that was known in Jerusalem, that was known at the temple, that was known to the Jew, would be lavishly and unsparingly given throughout the nation so that you and I up here in Northern California off the Highway 101 know God's grace. That's the nation. We're the nations. And so these prophets, they spoke about this lavish grace that would go out. Moses spoke about it when he considered the promise made to Abraham. Abraham, the father of faith, Remember, God said, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. And those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. And the nations will be blessed in you, Abraham. That was uh, anticipating this day and age of gospel grace that expanded globally and would go out as those who came to the same kind of faith of Abraham would be blessed. David speaks about it in Psalm 67 about this grace going out to the nations. Isaiah 60. Peter, you can remember his sermon in the book of Acts, and he he explains what's happening as those gathered at Pentecost and people were coming to faith with different languages from different nations. And And he explains that this is a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy about the day when the Spirit of God would go out to all the nations. This was the beginning of the fulfillment of the prophecy made to Joel, the Old Testament prophet. And so the prophets, they wrote about and they spoke about this grace of God that would be given lavishly and unsparingly upon the entire earth. This grace that would be known widely. A grace that would be known freely. And you... New Testament saints, you actually live in that time. You live in that era. 
And you can go forward with a promise. You know, the Old Testament saints didn't have this promise of this free grace that would go to all the nations. But we have that. We can go forward with courage declaring this great gospel to our neighbors with hope that the Lord would give His grace freely to all of the nations. So what did these prophets write about? The coming gospel age, the widespread grace of God, and third, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, His sufferings and the glories that would follow. Verse 11, seeking the events and the time, the Spirit of Christ who was within them signified when He foretold the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Christ is the object of saving faith, even for the Old Testament saints. And sincerity alone cannot save anybody. Now, now I'll remind you in context, Peter talked about an authentic faith a faith that was better than gold in verses 6 to 9. And he's saying that there's, there, there needs to be a sincerity about faith, an authenticity about faith. But sincere faith alone will not save you. You actually need the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who actually saves. It's not the sincerity of believing that God exists or... Um, just sincerely trusting something. It's, it's the object of faith is the suffering of Jesus Christ and the glory that should follow. You have to have faith in that. And think about it in, in the physical realm. If, if you were going to be saved from cancer, it's not just the sincere, sincerity you have about the treatment you would be taking, right? But you have to actually take the right treatment. Um, if you need to have commitment and sincerity if you're going to fight cancer. And if I gave you sugar pills and I, and I convinced you that this was going to be the right treatment and you became sincere and, and faithful to using this treatment so much so that you believed in it and were telling other cancer patients about this great treatment that was going to cure their cancer, that sincerity would do nothing to cure you from physical death by cancer. And it is the same way in the, it's the same in the spiritual realm. Sincerity doesn't save somebody who believes a false gospel. Sincerity doesn't save a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon. Sincerity alone has nothing to do with salvation. You need the right treatment. You need an objective faith, a faith that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Old Testament saints, they weren't saved on the basis of sincerity. I think rationally we, we, we tend to go this way because they didn't have the Gospel accounts. They didn't have the New Testament accounts. And so we think, well, they just had faith. They had a gen- generic faith, a generalized faith that God was going to take care of them. But no, they believed in the sufferings and the glories of Jesus Christ. That's what Peter teaches us here. They had an objective faith in Jesus Christ. 
And so Peter says that these Old Testament prophets sincerely trusted in Jesus Christ. He is their cure for spiritual cancer. How? How does does Christ save the soul? His suffering. His death was atoning payment for sin. He paid the penalty price for sin that you and I deserved having broken God's law. In the Old Testament, the the prophets, they spoke about this in many ways. They, They prophesied about it and it was pictured in the Jewish religion. Think about the temple sacrifices. If you were a Levite, um, you came home each day a bloody mess. You know, blood on your shirt, in your hair. You smelt and reeked of it, and uh, you were you weren't greeted with a warm kiss from your wife each night. You had to go take a shower first, right? <laughs> I used to play a lot of sports. My my dad would, my mom wanted to keep a tight house, so I had to strip down <laughs> before I came into the house. I come in my tidy whities. That, but you know, it was a that was the Jewish religion. It was blood. It was day after day after day. It was bloodshed, and it stunk. And it was a picture of of that awful suffering. Of Christ. They knew that the slaying and sacrifice of these animals could never take away sin. Why? Because they had to go back the next day and do it again. Day after day after day and week after week after week, thousands upon thousands of animals had to be slain. And they learned from that that the shedding of blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. And they look forward to the Lamb of God that would be slain, the spotless Lamb of God that would redeem through the shedding of His blood. The sufferings of Jesus Christ is the way a person is saved. And it was prophesied about. Psalms 22 speaks about, in graphic details, the suffering of Jesus Christ. Or you could think of Isaiah 53 the suffering servant. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. And so it was pictured in the Old Testament. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. And the glories that follow was pictured and prophesied in the Old Testament. The glories the resurrection, the triumph of Jesus Christ and His exaltation and ascension into heaven where He's seated at the the right hand of God eternally. Pictured in the Old Testament, Christ rising from the dead when, when Isaac was bound to the stake and his father Abraham was to slay him. And yet He came back down that mountain alive. That was a picture of resurrection of Jesus Christ. Or you could think of Job. Job prophesies about a day that he will physically, with his own eyeballs, look at God in the flesh. He understood that he himself would be resurrected to see that resurrected Christ. 
And it was prophesied and it was pictured in the Old Testament, replete throughout the Old Testament is the sufferings of Christ and the glories that should follow. And so the prophets foretold of this. And they had faith in Jesus Christ, just like you and I have faith in Jesus Christ today. I'm going to conclude here uh, with a few points of application. But first, uh, I just want to say, you who are New Testament believers, you have it all. You're lacking nothing. You've got the whole picture in high definition. Something the prophets could only dream about. And so, I want us to appreciate this hope. Let's thank God that we are privileged to live on this side of salvation history and have our New Testaments in this hope so clearly enunciated by the apostles, the faith that is delivered even here across the Atlantic Ocean to the west up here in Laytonville. I want us to appreciate this hope. And second, it should teach us here that we should also be making a diligent study of our Bibles. The Old Testament saints could only dream to have what we have here, the completed canon of Holy Scripture. They were captivated and in awe and wonder of it. And we too ought to be captivated and filled with awe and wonder about Holy Scripture, delving headlong into it, daily studying it, waking up early and getting your morning coffee, if that's what it takes. And then third, I want us to hope more fully in the return of Jesus Christ. Jesus talks about the martyrdom of and the persecution that came upon the Old Testament prophets. They actually spoke boldly about the, the faith alone and grace alone through Christ alone. And they were persecuted in their day for their faith. And yet what helped, what, what helped them to press on in the faith, what was it? Their hope in the first advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the, the Savior of the world would come. And that is the very thing that you and I as New Testament believers can cling to when we are facing a hostile world. We are entering into a time of trials and troubles, are we not, in this world? We don't look to the first advent of Jesus Christ, but we look to the second advent. Lord, The Lord is coming again. So let's likewise look to the clouds and call out to God for His mercy to endure but trusting that the Lord is coming to save His people again. All right, we're going to pray. Lord, we thank You for the salvation of souls, Lord. There is no greater gift. God, thank You for unsparingly and lavishly giving this gift unto men, Lord, for giving me salvation, Lord, for not looking at my sin, but looking at the perfect life of Christ, for atoning for my sin by dying on that cross, Lord, 
demonstrating that love that knew no bounds. God, I, I thank you for the holy scriptures, Lord, that was pioneered by great men and women of faith, Lord, who trusted and looked for the Savior, Lord. We too, Lord, we want to hope and look for His return, Lord. May You fill us with that hope. God, give us a disciplined life in the Word. We ask for Your help in all these things. pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.